With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everybody, welcome to the At The High Podcast, part of the SP Nation Network of Podcasts. On today's episode, Jonathan and Zach talk about the last couple weeks in Hornets basketball and why they still can't figure out this team. They preview the weekend's slate of games, take a look at some ghosts of Hornets past, and wrap up with the Hornets that are buzzing and wasn't. Let's get started. Here's morning, the shot! What's up, guys? Welcome to the At The High Podcast. It's Jonathan and Zach, your usual host. Zach, how are you doing? Deck in the halls, Jonathan. <laughs> it's 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 the holidays. It's time to get in the holiday spirit, um, which is are part of the reason. With your, are you done with your uh, shopping? Do you have everything covered? Yes, just just in the nick of time. I have, like, I have a few gifts coming in on Monday, the 23rd. That'll just in the nick Batum of time? <laughs> just, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yes, yes, just in the Nick Batuma time. So the Hornets are winners of four out of six. And they were four out of five before they lost to the Cavs. And I want to say this is the second time, I think, where we had a show where I think the Hornets were playing well. And like we're going to talk about how well they've been playing. But the last game before we were able to record, they got like had a terrible loss. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah a is. terrible, a close, terrible loss. I, no, here's what it was. They had the buzzer beaters against the Pistons and the the Knicks on back to back nights on Friday and Saturday, and so we were going to record on Tuesday because there's no game that night. And on the Monday, they got beat by Toronto by 36. Yeah, that's so. I was like, uh, well, nah, there goes all the the goodwill of the Hornets buzzer beaters that we could talk about and excitement. And then now this time, it's like, oh, the Hornets have won four or five, and then they lost to the one of the worst teams in the league. They just they ruin our buzz. And live by the buzzer, die by the buzzer, right? Yes. <laughs> Which, did you watch, we'll start, I want to start with that Cavs game. Did you watch it from start to finish? Not start to finish, I got to be honest with you on that. I caught it about maybe midway through the second quarter. Um, it was a, it's been a late week for me, like I was telling you before we started recording. Yeah. Started a new job, just taking over my life right now. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's understandable. It's probably a little bit more important than, than watching the, the Hornets from start they, to finish. It, it rivals, it rivals uh, at the hive for pay, you know, yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> they are, I do, yeah, you are collecting the big checks for, for this podcast, but. Yeah. Uh, um, Did you see the whole thing? Yes, it, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the fourth quarter was fun, which is the Hornets just find a way to make every game fun in its own way. And it also messed up in another way 
something I want to talk about, how bad Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham have been playing. And then Terry Rozier scores like 18 points in the fourth quarter and almost single-handedly wins the game. It's like, well, there goes that talk. I do think we could talk about it a little bit. So, yeah, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier uh, cannot shoot to save their lives right now. No, and that's a struggle for the entire team. Um, yeah. Which, you know, and, and it sounds like I'm echoing myself again, but in the modern-day NBA, you, you have to rely on the three-point line, and when no one can shoot three-pointers, <laughs> you get the kind of results from the Hornets, who, on the other side of it, work really hard on the intangibles, get loose balls, do all that kind of stuff, but if you're not, if you're not hitting from the three, the best that you can be is kind of what the Hornets are right now, 13 and 18, you know? Yeah, and it, it's it seems like it always happens where players, if they have, like, a really, really good night, they're due to just, like, hit a go ice cold after that or or the the opposite. But uh, Tara's just – so Devontae Graham, since he went for 40 against the Nets, is shooting 22% from the field and 26% from three. Terry Rozier from that in that same span is shooting 32% from the field and 36% from three. And I think it's even more like apparent because the two of them shoot like 35 shots a game between the two of them. And when, so when did Graham officially become a starter? When did they start playing uh, the, the Rozier game 11 combo? What what have you thought about that? I mean, obviously they're like you say they're struggling from the three point shot. the The defense is just lacking, and I know no one wants to hear about defense. But what do you think about the combo of Rogier and Graham starting these games? I think it's kind of necessary. Um, I looked it up in lineups with Rogier and Graham, and I, it's probably changed a little bit because I looked this up a couple of weeks ago. But they Rogier and Graham on the floor, they are worse defensively, but it's not a huge amount. The Hornets just bad defensively regardless. Um, but the team is much better on offense when both are on the court. So it kind of like negates the bad defense. You have to do it. And yeah. yeah, I don't, I mean, the other option is you have like Malik Monk or Dwayne Bacon out there. Um, and Malik the Monk's good for his like, yeah, Malik yeah. Monk's good for his like one or two good games every two or three weeks. And Dwayne Bacon's just, just really bad now. Um, I, so let I me feel ask bad. You this, when, when we, Started off the season, you know, we were talking about our outlook. Did did you imagine that the Hornets would be the team that they are today when we started the season, you know, 30 games ago? No, and I this is something I wanted to talk about. Is And I think we've kind of talked about it a little bit on every show, but I don't understand this team. Because they're, they're 13 and 18. It's been 31 games. We're getting close to halfway through the season. They're a game and, out of the eighth seat. Yeah, but nothing. There's nothing to suggest aside from their record that they are almost a playoff team. No, except for the <laughs> fact that it's the Eastern Conference and that bottom three teams are interchangeable. So yeah, and it's and it's just like and I think we've we've been accused a little bit of being negative, and I'm going to continue that when I talk about the Hornets' defense over the last few games. But it's just like at some point, like the other shoe has to drop, right? Like this, this team is not good. They're just somehow like scraping by these wins. Like they're just getting consistently lucky. And it's just like this, this is not how Charlotte teams work. At some point, <laughs> at some the point, the luck is like, going to run out. Yeah. Like and yeah. it's going to run out hard. Like 
They're gonna lose. And it's like hard to be anything but negative when the literal plus minuses are negative. Like that is the numbers <laughs> telling you that is it is negative. And what is awesome about it, and what I like is that I was down on the season to begin with. However, this team, like you said, is really interesting. A lot of times they'll pull it out in the fourth fourth quarter. It mm. comes down to a do-or-die shot uh, with a minute left. Like Those are fun games to watch, and that is worth something that's valuable to me. I get a little bit worried that we're caught in the gray area of not of being too good to get a great draft pick and being um, not good enough to be... Uh, in playoff contention, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I think January is going to really solidify what the Hornets actually are. Cause there's, you could make an argument that the Hornets will be underdogs in every game from like December 31st until like February 2nd or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and the all... play of the players in that time is really going to set the market when we talk about, um, the trade deadline and the trade market uh, going forward. Yeah, well, and we'll we'll talk about that as that gets closer. But I want to talk about um, the defense. So the defense has been better the last like six games, eight games, when the Hornets have been winning games. And so today or Friday, I was like, I'm gonna write about. I need if I need some content. I'm gonna write about how the Hornets defense has been better. And I go in expecting like, all right, I'm going to pull up some stats and talk about how they're doing this better and how they're doing that better and all this stuff. And I go and I start looking through some numbers and I'm like, I can't find anything that they're doing better. Why is their defense been so much better? And they was a little bit, they're a little better at getting or preventing points in the paint. But the biggest difference between their defense in the first 25 games and the last six is that opponent rebounds? No. It's exactly okay. like literally exactly the same defensive rebounding, even with Biombo and Zeller starting. Huh. Uh, opponents are shooting like 27% on wide open threes in the last six games. They're just missing them. Opponents are just missing shots. And like part of that's the Hornets. Like, you know, if you're funneling the yeah, open maybe shots to the, the right people, people in the wrong situations, yeah. Yeah, and teams for some reason tend to shoot worse in the last half of the shot clock than they do in the first half of the shot clock. So if you make them work a little bit harder to get open looks, they won't convert them as well. But like the difference between the 27% that the opponents are shooting on open shots and the average on wide open shots is enough for like five or six points a game. And the Hornets are barely skating by. And that goes back to what I talked about where I don't understand this team because it seemed like they were shooting over their head for the first two months of the season wouldn't you agree like i didn't they were shooting like in the high 30s from three which i did not see coming into the season for sure and rogier had a lot to say about that and rogier is playing better than he's ever played in his entire career and it's probably you know it's probably going to regress to the mean at some point as much as i like rogier <laughs> again that sounds negative i like <laughs> rogier i think he can evolve into a, a really good player in mm -hmm. this league but you have to, you know, you follow the trends and you follow history. Rogier has never played like this before. He's hit a really, you know, um, think think about Lynn Sanity. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Lynn played out of his mind for a half a season, even a full season. And you just regress to the mean kind of thing. Yeah, like Rozier and Graham and Washington have all been shooting over 40% from three, which is good. And maybe they can sustain it, but it's crazy for three players to shoot that high above their preview like their expectation at the same time and then it's and then of course the hornets all of a sudden that dries up and the hornets can't make a shot and now their opponents can't either 
So the Hornets are still getting these wins. They're still scraping out these wins, even still though they can't score. Yeah. yeah. So it's like at some point the the shots are going to stop falling and they won't win. Well, the stop, shots stop falling, and so do the opponents narrow wins. And it's just I don't know. I don't understand how it's happening and how it's been happening for so long. And I feel bad try like like poo pooing on everybody that's trying to get excited about this team and playoff aspirations and stuff. But it's like I just don't see how this keeps up. Well, and and get excited, get excited for <laughs> for the playoffs if you want to. Just understand that there isn't the <laughs> there isn't the talent on this team to be competitive with the best uh, teams in the playoffs. And so, if you're if you want to get excited for the rest of your Hornets fans' career about making the playoffs and being the eighth, seventh seed, probably ninth or tenth seed, and as long as you're competitive, that's good enough for you. Great, do that. But I want this team to be in champ in championship contention soon. And I think the way the best way to do that is through draft capital. And the best way to get draft capital is to be not as good as that middle ground where teams tend to flounder. You know. Yeah, and I think you know I'm not trying to poo-poo your excitement (laughs) for the playoffs, but you can't be competitive against the 76ers against the Celtics, which we'll talk a little bit more about later um, with the talent that we have right now. And especially with the way they've been playing defense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on that note, I um, looked it up, but uh, the Hornets have played seven games against teams in the top eight, like league wide standings. Um, they've lost all seven of them and they've lost by an average of 22 points a game. Uh, we beat uh, the Golden State, Jonathan. What <laughs> do you say? What do you say to that, my friend? <laughs> that is yeah. true. They, they're they, defending they, champions. They're not who, even who def- look exactly the same as they, they did last year. <laughs> the defending Western <laughs> Conference champions. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the only top ten team the Hornets have beaten is the Pacers, and that was when Turner and Sabonis were both out, and it was an overtime where they fouled Devontae Graham at the buzzer to win it. And then the game they played the Pacers with the Pacers healthy, they lost by twenty-two. So, yeah, this this team and, is not built to compete with good teams, which is why it's crazy that they're so consistently winning against, like, mediocre to bad teams. Well, and that's a good sign, right? That's a positive thing we can talk about is that they're, they're winning games against, like you said, mediocre to bad teams, which means that, which hopefully can translate into, in future years, we'll beat the teams that... We're not, we're not expected to. And then this was a, a trend with previous Hornets teams. We would used to regress to the level of the team yeah. we were playing. So we might lose to a Chicago. We might lose to a Washington. And this team is beating the teams that they should beat and losing to the teams that they should lose to. And we should lose to a lot of teams because, you know, <laughs> that's where our talent is. It's fine. I'm, I'm excited. This, this season is going better than I thought it was going to go. And that's a positive thing that I said, commenters. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> so, so coming up, uh, I think we have the Hornets. We get a good barometer of where they are this, this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, they host the Jazz, who are – not as good as they were supposed to be this season, that but they're still another weird team. Yeah, but they're still good. Um, again, more detail. And then they play. They go to Boston to play the Celtics, who are probably better than people expected they would be. 
Um, I'll, we'll start with the Jazz. The Jazz are not like dominating on defense like they were, and they're but they're just kind of doing the opposite of the Hornets, where they're just like winning games a lot, and they're yeah. eking out wins. And I do feel like, although their defense hasn't been great, I do feel like their roster can match up really well with our roster. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we're we're not hitting stuff from outside, which means we have to go into the paint. And in the paint, obviously, uh, Rudy Gobert owns the paint for the for the Jazz, and he can he can change shots. He can make people second guess what their plan is. It'll be interesting to see how we match up with the Jazz. I think that mm-hmm. it could be a possible win. It's one of those teams that the mediocre t- kind of teams. But when you're talking about mediocre teams in the West, they're just a different caliber. Yeah, I um, I don't, I don't think there's anybody on this team you'd say is an above average scorer inside the paint or inside the arc, right? No. So even if Rudy Gobert hasn't been like typical Rudy Gobert this year. I have no idea how any but how the Hornets score with any sort of efficiency inside the arc. No, which means they're gonna have to hit outside, which they haven't been. It hasn't been yeah. coming down. No, not at all. And then I don't know how they contain Donovan Mitchell and Bojan Bogdanovic. Bojan Bogdanovic is the exact type of player that will hit like ten threes against the Hornets. Uh like go De- Davis Bertans on him. Yeah, because he's left wide open because someone isn't covering their man after trying to <laughs> stop the dribble drive from Donovan, you know? Yeah, and the Jazz won't have Mike Conley, but they've been doing okay without him, and he hasn't been very good so far this year either. I think he's uncomfortable being out of Memphis for the first time in his career. I never thought that that trade was going to be a silver silver bullet for Utah either. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought... He was going to be good in Utah. I think he can still be good in Utah, but I didn't think it was going to bring them over the hump of competing with uh Houston Rockets. Yeah. I can see that. It just I thought with for me it was like they were competing with teams and always getting real hot the second half of the season and they still could. Um with Ricky Rubio as their point guard and Conley is much better than Rubio and he gives them an extra dimension of outside shooting. So I was like, oh that's kind of plugs up that weakness a little bit. But they like I said, they always finish strong and the Horn- the Hornets could be a good jumping off point for them. Um, and then the Hornets go to Boston and I'm expecting a much different game than the first time these two teams played. Cause the first time was weird. Well, it was, it was Kemba coming home. It was, yeah. I mean, obviously it was just a different atmosphere. And when you're coming into Boston, look, they don't, they expect to win and they expect to win by a, a big margin. And, I also expect Kemba not to suffer from the, you know, emotional ups and downs of, of coming home for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm calling Charlotte his home, but it, it was a professional home. Um, yeah. And I just think that they've been rolling over teams consistently. And I can see it happening and can see it happening with not a lot of emotion, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a lot different. For one, for Kimba, who's their best player, he's playing in Boston, so that takes away, like you said, the uh, the emotional aspect of it a little bit, because he did not seem he was very clearly, um, not very focused in the first game. Like he was way off on like all of his shots in the first half. He kind of found it a little bit in the second half, but you could tell he wasn't really there. I don't think that's going to happen this time. 
No, and we talked about the beginning of the season when we did our um, Halloween little mm-hmm. talking about players. We we talked about Kemba, and we talked about Boston specifically incorporating Kemba's style of basketball into what they were doing. Because although people like to compare Kemba and Kyrie a lot, they're really very different, A, as basketball players, and B, as leaders of teams. Oh, definitely and, that, yeah. Yeah, and now they've incorporated him. And now Kemba owns that team. Kemba is the leader of that team, um, yeah. which we can talk about more later. But yeah, yeah I, 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 see, I see Boston really taking that. Um, he get, We'll see him again before the end of the year mm. um, on New Year's Eve, which I'm sure is going to be a really um, populated game. Uh, it's 3 p.m. on New Year's Eve, so yep. you know maybe <laughs> do it right before you go out for the night. Yeah, you finish the game and then you go hang out uptown for the for the festivities. Yeah, or if you're like me, you'll go to a game at 3 p.m. and go to sleep at like 7:45. We'll see what. Yeah, happens. come home, take a nap, and then wake up and go to bed. You know. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On the and then so real quick before we go to take a break, uh, do you see the games and then have it? They have five days off after the Celtics game. Do you see them having a win in either of those two games before the extended rest? I don't know, Zach, stop being so negative. You know? <laughs> God, stop being so negative. Oklahoma City has really learned how to play um, with each other. Let's 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 grab that win um, at, at Memphis. Can we do that? Okay, so if we if we look ahead to before the, the new year, at Memphis the Hornets will win, and then none of the other four before New Year's. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's yeah, that's probably. The I mean, most do likely. you have a different? Do you have a different outcome? Look, no. I, su- surprise me. Uh, previously, I, I said they were going to win their next four games. That didn't <laughs> yeah. work out so well for me. Nope. Um, so I'm going to be level-headed and pragmatic about this, and I think we can beat Memphis in Memphis. Yeah, they could be home against the Jazz or the Thunder. More likely, the Thunder. Um, because the Thunder aren't like. Like the Jazz have the pieces, and you just kind of think they're going to be good. The Thunder are just kind of this like spunky team of misfits that's just kind of winning games that they're not supposed to be winning. Kind of and like Chris the Hornets, Paul. <laughs> and then yeah, they have Chris Paul who yeah, and um who makes Nick Batum look like a bargain. And um, <laughs> but other than that, so they can maybe steal that Thunder game. But I think if if I were going to like actually like bet money or risk something on it, I would only pick them to win against the the Grizzlies. Or win I mean, one game because they could also yeah. very well lose that game. So one of the two between the Thunder and the Grizzlies, and probably lose the rest. Sure, sure. And I, you know, uh, taking that into context, so we believe that we can win um, with with Utah coming in, and we believe we can win at uh, Memphis, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So there's two wins there. We're gonna keep like the. 38% win win <laughs> win loss record going on and uh look i i can see some interesting games i could see for some reason them being uh rosier being emotional about uh coming back to boston and maybe him you know he just went off with 35 points we could see him do something crazy i'll be interested and be happy to watch these games even if i don't think they're going to win the games of course me too and this is by the way after this coming stretch, and I don't even think they'll be favored, but after this coming stretch, I don't think the Hornets will be favored until they play. They host New York on January 28th. So the Hornets need to get their wins while they can because it's about to get tough. 
It's about to get tough. It's going to be real M- tough. Merry Christmas from Jonathan Blanc. <laughs> it's about to get tough. Uh, on the other side of the break, we'll talk about uh, who's buzzing, who's wasn't, and some ghosts from a hornet's past. Welcome back, guys. We're going to talk about some ghosts of Hornets past because it's Christmas time. It's a reference. It's a reference to to uh, that that Christmas movie with Ebony Marley Scrooge and Marley. And all right, first of all, it's called the Christmas Carol. It was a story yeah. way before it was a movie. And the best <laughs> version, the best movie version, is the Muppets Christmas Carol. Just so we're all <laughs> the clear. Muppets Christmas. Michael Caine in it. It's amazing. <laughs> so that's what this is reference to. We aren't just re, re- recycling our uh, Halloween joke. There's actually a Christmas tie to it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about Frank Kaminsky, Jeremy Lamb, and Kimball Walker uh, in that order. Kaminsky! The common theme with all three of them is that their stats on like a permanent basis are like identical to what they did their last season in Charlotte. So Frank Kaminsky is playing 24 minutes a game for the Suns. He's averaging 12 points and five rebounds and two and a half assists per game. And looking <clears throat> as goofy as possible. He stayed. He stayed with the purple, so he's just got his pro niche. Is wearing purple jerseys, but he's also shooting extremely inconsistently from three, which I think will shock absolutely nobody. Yeah, I mean, is there a, what I think there is interesting to say about Frank Kaminsky is that he'll probably be some type of trade chip in some type of trade uh, in February. Um, Maybe think, it's yeah. I it's think the, the Suns. Suns may try to do something and even make a bad decision and uh, <laughs> trade him. He's got a, uh, it's three year, 15 million a year, right? That's his uh, contract. No, it's just like two years, 5 million a year. That's it's very small. Yeah, that's what it is. Sorry. Um, but from the little, I've, very little I've seen of him, he looks like Frank Kaminsky, you know, mm-hmm. kind of bobbing in there every once in a while. He'll spark something. He'll see, uh, he'll get that turn, that turnaround pass and he'll hit the, a shot, but a lot of times he won't take the shot. It's Frank Kaminsky was a weird draft pick at the beginning. <laughs> his dad said when his dad was interviewed about how excited he was that his son was drafted, he said, "Oh well, we had some pretty big games in college too," and that's when I knew I wasn't going to like Frank Kaminsky. So. Frank Kaminsky also going into his senior year of college was like, "Why would I want to packed arenas and everybody's excited?" And or I could go play somewhere like Charlotte where the arena is half empty and nobody really cares. And then, of course, he gets picked by Charlotte and he's like had a that awkward moment. I don't know yeah. if people remember that. Uh, yeah. And should I should I bring up the fact that we didn't make the trade with Boston that would have given us like potentially <laughs> three first round? Nah, picks? You don't need to bring, we don't, don't need to bring that up. It's um, all right. We'll talk but, about another trade that happened with Boston yeah. <laughs> two players from now. But no, he's like he had a five game stretch where he made like seven out of like thirty shots, and he went missed uh thirteen straight three pointers, and then he got hot, and it's like oh there he goes, he figured it out, and then he had another stretch where he was like four for twenty from three, and that's the Frank Kaminsky experience. <laughs> the Frank Kaminsky we we know and tolerate. <laughs> he's currently riding a, a decent decent streak of shooting, shooting fifty two percent of the field over their last four. Um. So that means eventually in the next couple of weeks, he's going to shoot about like 8% from three. So hopefully for like the two Suns fans that might accidentally find this podcast, I th- that's, that's what you're in for. There you go. 
Jeremy Jeremy Lamb's like the opposite. Were you about to say something? Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I was just about to talk about Lamb. Go ahead. Yeah, he's like the opposite of Frank Kaminsky in where he's like literally the same player every single game. Yeah, which which isn't a bad player to have on your team if you're not depending on him. Yeah. He's doing for the Pacers exactly what he did for the Hornets. He's his scoring's down a little bit. Um, which is understandable because he's got better teammates around him and his rebounding's down a little bit, which is also understandable because he's got Miles Turner and Demata Sabonis around him. But other than that, he's he's pretty much just doing Jeremy Lamb things. Yeah, I hated that we lost him, especially after uh, we lost Kemba Walker. But he, you know, we invested in him. I really liked Lamb's career in Charlotte, but there was never going to be a second step. There was never going to be a a, a Devonte Graham like ascension to something more. And I, you know, and that's fine. And he's a a good NBA player. He's just never going to be a star. Yeah, he's he's that like he's what he is right now. He'll average like ten to fifteen points a game, depending on what you need for him. Uh, he'll be extremely consistent night in and night out, and uh, and he's a good like third or fourth option starter. Like get you a bucket when your possessions break down, play passable defense, help on the glass, stuff like that. And he's so he's he's a perfect fit for Indiana, and it's good to see him succeed because I was a little worried that he would kind of like fall out of a team's rotation or something out of Charlotte. Like yeah. Oklahoma City days. Yeah, because Charlotte in the past seems to have like had that effect where players have big roles here and they go somewhere else and they're like, this player is actually bad. And I was yeah, a little like, worried that would happen to Lamb. That That's true. There are exceptions to that rule. Um, who's our guy in Orlando? Is he still playing in Orlando? He had uh, Carter his Williams. moment in the sun. Yeah, he had his moment in the sun during the playoffs. Last year. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got Steve Clifford. As long as Steve Clifford has a job, Michael Carter Williams has a job. That's just it's just good to know. <laughs> That's good job stability. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but let's talk Gerald about Henderson. the man. Yeah. Gerald let's Henderson is what I was thinking about guy. with Jeremy Lamb, real quick. Just oh, sure. That in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like let's same talk production, about the man. Similar production let's talk about the yeah. guy who is a, a culture changer when you bring him on your team. And that's that's yes. Kemba Walker, just doing what he does best, making teams better, bringing not not only the stats, which you know he's had a a, a rough little start to begin with. It, it was they were tr- still trying to figure out how to uh, bring him into the Celtics, but is now just a dependable person to to get you those twenty, twenty five, thirty points a game, but also knows how to motivate people. Um, you hear his teammates talk about how Kemba Walker is always checking to see if they're happy, always uh, bringing up the mood in the locker room, which is the exact opposite of what you heard from <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Um, yeah. You know, we, he is everything in uh, Boston that we knew he was in Charlotte, except that he has the role players in Boston to really make a push for a championship. And that's what they're doing. I think it's fair to wonder because like a lot of their younger players seem to have taken a step, like especially Tatum this year. And I think it's fair to wonder if that step happens with Kyrie there instead of Kimba, because that's last year with all the the locker room disconnected, all that stuff, and now Kimba's it's, there it's and he's like the ultimate locker room glue guy. Yeah, it's it's fair to wonder and to be easy to say yes 
Kemba is the reason that Tatum and uh, Brown are having these this really great year, the, the evolving as players. And it's easy to say that that Kemba's the reason, but I'll tell mm. you what, Kemba is not the obstacle. Kemba is, you know, you could say that Kyrie was the obstacle mm-hmm. um, because he wasn't really fitting on that team. Kemba allows people to grow and makes teams better. And, you know, I've, I've watched the Celtics a lot because they're on national, national TV a lot and because every media person in the world has to talk about the Celtics. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and more power to him, and I love it, and I just wonder, you know, I'm always going to wonder this if the 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 young kids that we have on this Hornets team and this Hornets team that is not playing bad that is really gelling as a team what effect he could have had on these young players uh specifically PJ Washington. Yeah. I um I I, I wouldn't I think we talked about it before. He should just come back after his contract in Boston expires. Let it, let us let the Hornets accrue some young talent and then come back here and lead them to the promised land. Yeah. So you're saying pay him the money that we should have paid him um, last year, <laughs> yes. six years from now. Okay. Yeah. Four, no, that's four, yeah. four years, from four now. years. Yeah. Him and uh, Steph Curry. They, we, they, they can just play in wheelchairs, whatever. <laughs> he won't be that old. He'll be like 33 or something. Um, something I thought was funny and kind of shows how little national media thinks of Charlotte Somebody on NBA TV, I can't remember who it was. It was like Greg Anthony or somebody uh, had their top. And it was like Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, and Kimball Walker. And I was like, Kimball Walker. You never heard about that. Yeah, it it wasn't like a big deal. I just had NBA TV on. Like, I think it was still on from the night before when I was watching the game. And I turned it on in the middle of the afternoon. And. Kimball Walker is doing the exact same thing for Boston that he did for Charlotte. He's just got better teammates around him. And it was weird that somebody like all of a sudden he's gone from this like fringe all NBA player to top five MVP candidate because of the team around him. That doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I mean, it, it does because people, the only reason it does is because a people look at larger markets for their MVPs and yeah. B, they look at winning teams part of the the unspoken requirement for the NBA MVP is that you're on a consistently winning team. You know, I've heard uh, Bill Simmons say, you know, you have to win 45 games. Yeah. That is a requirement. And the Hornets, most of the Hornets teams didn't do that. One of them did. The rest did not. So, you know, (laughs) I mean, I understand your frustration with that, but it doesn't (laughs) surprise me at all. No, it doesn't surprise me either. It's just like, it's an eye roller, um, but it is nice for Kimba to finally get some national recognition because he's deserved it for a lot longer than he's been getting it. Yeah, he deserved to get paid his money too. But we, I guess we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's winning, and they're on the the broadcast last night. They said he's so excited to be able to play for a team that has a chance to win something. It's like, hey, now that's kind of mean. That's hurt. That hits. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, the show, the Hornets yeah. did their best. They did a very bad job, but they did their best. I have two ears connected to a heart. That hurts. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. So moving back to the, the current Hornets, we're going to do buzzing and wasn't. And buzzin'. we have a shared buzzing candidate, and you want to tell the people who it is. 
Sure, and and you know, if you've been watching the the past handful of games, you should know who it is. It's Mister Consistent. Can I call him that? Cody Zeller. Um, just been a been a rock. <laughs> yeah, been, a, been a solid. You know, sixteen points. Um, handful of rebounds. You know, when it's very hard to say this, but when you're looking for someone to make <laughs> something happen during a play, they're looking at Cody Zeller to do that. Yeah, that's it's not just funny. like we thought coming I mean, into the season. Funny. Yeah, yeah, it's really not what we. But you know, with with uh, PJ hurting, um, with some some DNPs for for a person that I'll get to later. With really just trying to find someone to make something happen, Cody Zeller has really filled that vacuum. Yeah, he's oh, since he came back from injury, he's scored uh, ten out of eleven games. Um, he's shooting like fifty-seven percent from the field. He's getting a couple offensive rebounds a game, a good number of defensive rebounds a game. Throws in some assists and some defensive plays, like just very steady in a season where everybody else on the Hornets is like wildly inconsistent he's been been the rock yeah just keep you know he he is like a pringles can he is a trade chip and i need him to keep crispy <laughs> keep crispy there cody <laughs> need to put him on ice because he's due for another injury at any moment now <laughs> oh god knock on wood <laughs> so so for wasn't i think that's the same person i said last time but it's for kind of a different reason this time who you guys miles bridges Okay. Because we talked, I think it was last episode, maybe it was two episodes ago, that his on-off numbers were atrocious, like among the worst in the league. And they are, they're still down there. But I've been paying more attention to him since we had that conversation just to see if I can kind of identify anything he's doing wrong. And he just doesn't seem as engaged as he was last year. Like, not that he, like, he's, he seems to be a better player this year. But there's just times where, like, on defense, he just kind of lets people go by him, and he doesn't really make an effort. And offensively, he's been disappearing, and he just – something seems off. He's also posted a couple things on Instagram where he seems like something's bothering him in his personal life. So I don't know if something's going on or if he's just lost his confidence or what, but he just – he's turned into a floater. Do you have an example of the Instagram? Um, he posted something about like people always like something about people being who you thought they were and not being le- like legit. And I think he posted the other day is something about he's getting off there because of something or other. The first couple years in the NBA getting those large paychecks, I'm sure that's it's hard to weather, you know, um, it's going through changes in your life. Coming but from I, where Bridges came from, like from Flint and yeah, all that sure. stuff. I, I again I root for Miles Bridges. I I think that him being lost on you know, obviously I'm only gonna talk about uh on the court kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like I I think that's a that's a game plan thing. And I think this is a person who, you know, maybe like Kemba Walker takes losses to heart and takes not being competitive to heart. And I could see him coming back bouncing back and, and you know I'm again. I'm echoing myself from when we <laughs> used Miles Bridges as a, a wasn't before. I'm um, I'm I'm still betting on. I still got my little piece of uh, Miles Bridges Island. Oh yeah, I do. I do too. I, I have faith in him, but I'm I'm just concerned about the like. It's not like he's out there and he's just missing shots and making bad decisions and just playing bad basketball. He just is just kind of like 
So he's I'm, not I'm, as uh, electrifying as he was, yeah, um, as a rookie, and you want to see that progression. And sometimes yeah. it's not lin- it's not growth isn't linear. Sometimes no. you have to go through struggles to get better in that next year coming up. And specifically with Miles Bridges, we he's got to be, have a consistent three pointer. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody does, but especially if you're playing that that uh, small forward, it's super important for you to have an. You know, there can't be a, a Tracy McGrady anymore. There can't be a Vince yeah. Carter where most of what you do is being electrifying in the paint. You really have to be able to pull defenses out so that Barreca can play that spread offense. Yeah, and his three's been pretty good this year. It's just like you said, it's inconsistent, and when he misses, he misses as bad as any player I've ever seen. Yeah, all right, so we don't have to yeah. spend a bunch of time on my wasn't. My wasn't is Nicholas Batum. Shouldn't be surprising to you. Shouldn't <laughs> be surprising to anybody else. You can't count on him. He's not there. He certainly, um, you know, he's hurt one day. He's a DMP coach's decision the next day. Um, I, you know, the worst contract <laughs> no. in Hornets history. Do you, Do you have... A conspiracy? Do you think it's a conspiracy that he's out with hand discomfort? Like, do you think they're just benching him nicely? Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Like, they're they're trying to let him save face. Yeah. I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case because I want him to understand that he is not playing well and he's being benched. It's not a vindictive thing. Well, it's just that, you know, certainly, you know, they don't do do that for Willie. They don't do it for Hernan Gomez. You know what I mean? Why do it for Batum? Well, I mean, I guess it's just it's one of those things where it's just like, hey, Nick, your hand hurts, right? He's like, no, I'm good. It's like, no, Nick, your hand no, hurts. Your you can't hand play. hurts. <laughs> You cannot play. Your hand is too injured. He's like, no, coach. Doctors say I'm fine. You cannot play. You're too injured. Trust me. Please. Yes, <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't know if there's an element of that or not. Probably not, because Borrego, whether people like it or not, seems to value Nick's contributions on the court. But they've been winning without him, whether that's fluky or not. Yeah, and, and you know. Like again, we said they're a super interesting team. Uh, Miles Bridges getting it together is going to be interesting to see. Uh, Monk doing his Monk thing, where he'll score twenty five points in one game, look like he he should be starting, and then be a no show the next game. There are some really interesting players on this team, and the <laughs> team plays sometimes really look like they're really well glued together, and sometimes it's it's free floating pieces out on the court so it's a fun team to watch i'm super positive listeners about this team (laughs) but you can't project any you can't project it all because it's hard to read it's a hard team to read it's very it's very difficult to talk about this team when you talk about them in general terms but we'll try again sometime soon maybe next week if we have time there's there's a lot of holiday stuff going on it might be after the new year but it'll be soon we'll talk to you guys about the hornets in And in the meantime, subscribe to all the platforms you listen to podcasts on. We'll see you guys later. Peace out.